0: dr chris cassells very very admired and respected now retired orthopedic surgeon and he did study virology he did study uh infectious disease it's not his specialty but he he actually was taught infectious diseases and virology by dr merle sand at the university of virginia school of medicine very very well known and respected by the way and and you know, those courses of study are reflected in his Bachelor of Science from Yale University and his medical doctorate from UVA. And I, I feel like we you have to say these things because I want people to understand, you know, who are these people you're talking to, who are we listening to, uh, what sort of you know, degrees do they have, because there's so much debate about this. And Chris and I talk on a regular basis because, like I said, he's a Delaware guy. He's also with the Cesar Rodney Institute here. He's on the phone right now. And it brings up a lot of questions about comorbidities and, and what does this really mean. We track all the, in, all the cases, but we know from the CDC back in April that they, they surmised that over the next two years, about 200 million people in America are going to contract this disease just based upon their previous virology studies. Chris, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? That was the second longest intro I ever gave anybody. <laughs> I sent you an email recently and and I want to get your reaction to whether or not there's any truth to this because it's something that's being shared a lot amongst my listeners through social media and emails, okay? Okay. Uh, On August 26th, the CDC published an update of its numbers regarding COVID. You have to look under the section entitled comorbidities to find this information, where the CDC reports that, on average, there were 2.6 additional conditions or causes per death, end quote, which means that most people who perished from COVID were already suffering from nearly three deadly pre-existing conditions when they contracted COVID. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, it, it's accurate. We've all, we've known this from the beginning that there's, there's an at-risk population and, uh, and, and uh, the comorbidities plus age, uh, uh were, the, were the basic features. Um I'm very familiar with that page. I follow that page and then of course the other page which is the, uh, the, the, you know, the death statistics. Um and, and they're pretty good numbers, Um but that's, uh, that's not, uh, anything that we all haven't known for quite a while.
0: The other thing is under comorbidities, the CDC says only 6% of all at the time, 153,504 COVID deaths recorded in the U.S. were due to COVID alone, bringing the total U.S. COVID deaths down to about 9,684, as opposed to the 153,000. Is that accurate or is that one of those yeah. things where, where you really got to think about it because that's not the whole story?
1: Well, it, it, it is accurate within the confines of, of how accurate can you, can you be. Um, yes, that it is true that almost nobody dies of COVID alone, even to the extent that, you know, most people do not have an autopsy, but in a, a number of COVID, in a, in a number of deaths, we have done an autopsy uh, and found that there were comorbidities at the time of death that were not yet diagnosed. For instance, uh, an unknown cancer, or uh, un- untreated, undiagnosed diabetes, or or uh, kidney disease, or congestive heart failure, or something like that. So that number of of COVID deaths to six thousand COVID deaths is actually probably. Still, a bit of an exaggeration of pure COVID deaths. There really are few, if any. This is a very predatory virus. It really, uh, it really goes after people who are old uh, and sick and have some selected comorbidities.
0: It is a dangerous virus, and when I see something like that, I think, well, "Okay, that uh, that seems about accurate." And I start reading more about it, and said, "Yeah, that seems accurate, seems accurate." Then I hear from someone like you, who's actually ed- educated in this, and you say, "Yes, yeah, accurate." Still, we know it's a very dangerous virus, and and I wonder if 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 when we talk about this and say, you know what, uh, there have been actually fewer than ten thousand people who have actually died from COVID itself. I wonder if that gives a message that's uh, that's also somewhat dangerous. Thinking uh, people are going to say, "Oh, I'm going to be more lackadaisical about this."
1: Yeah, you know, people do uh, respond that way, but they also respond hysterically uh, to some of the numbers that have been quoted that are just, you know, uh, ridiculous. I and mean, the idea of saying that 200 million uh, people have died from COVID—well, that's that's two out of every three Americans. I mean, these are crazy numbers. Um, So on the one hand, yes, you can become complacent. On the other hand, we had clearly seen the damage that is done by
0: hysteria. So if you were advising the governor here in Delaware, and I know you're not, but if you were, what would your advice be?
1: Well, I I did write an open letter to the governor a few months ago saying uh, uh, it's, it's stating the risks of, uh, of the close down of the shutdown, uh, and, and, uh, encouraged him to open up the, uh, open up the state as rapidly as possible, or at the very least, open it up to people who've already had the disease because they are our definition of herd immunity. They can't get it and they can't give it. Uh, so, uh, at the very least they should be out there working and doing, because the damages from from uh, uh, bad economy and poverty and the like uh, far exceed the actual damage from uh, from the virus or the or the death toll. I mean, far exceeds it. Then there's no there's no question about that. The, the data epidemiologically for for a hundred years has shown that uh, it goes back to the very beginnings of the uh, National Institutes of Health in the in the late. 1800s. Uh, The data is unequivocal about
0: that. You know, the governor issues once a week his guidance when it comes to coronavirus and COVID and such, but I don't think anybody has really had the opportunity to ask him two questions, which I'd love to ask him live on the air. I've reached out, I've almost begged, and that is, what would you really like to be doing when it comes to reopening Delaware? And for, forget what you're being. What's forget what the advice is that you're listening to, and what would you like to be doing? And then, and the second question is, you know, pretty obvious. I think what you would say: What's really holding you back? Because I suspect that he would like to open up Delaware more than it has been. I could be wrong, but that's my suspicion. And and I also suspect that he's being held back because of fear you know the the fear that we're going to have more people in the hospital the fear that we're going to have more people who are in ICU and such and yet we're seeing i think uh 12 more people in the past uh, week or two than we've had before and it, i think i saw the number this morning it was like 78 people i'm thinking okay um i'm glad they're getting good therapies i'm glad that the people can be cared for with this i'm I, I don't want to see anyone get it but like the cdc says they figure 200 million of us are going to get this over the next couple of years but but he, uh, he he doesn't address it that and he won't do this live and julianne murray who's running for governor takes the bold move of saying i'll be on this is what i would be doing and this is this is she would like to see businesses used as a barometer feeling that businesses have to be cautious have to be careful they don't want to get it either but they can't afford to lose their their livelihoods like we've seen some businesses just close down completely and i'm wondering dr cassells if indeed the government here in delaware were to use businesses as a barometer for example and such and and perhaps even allow people into the public libraries how would you monitor how would you monitor that and and what would be the metrics for pulling people back and saying, okay, time to shelter at home again?
1: Uh, I um, my notion about sheltering at home is that uh, it, it's that that is a seventh century cure for that was invented to treat the Justinian plague, which was a, an early version of the uh, bubonic plague. It, it's a, it's the worst. Possible treatment for anything. It's it, there's no science behind it um, There's nothing more than than paranoia about it. It's a it's an aberration of the idea of social distancing uh, sheltering at home is Precisely the wrong thing to do and it has been from the beginning and the data shows it over and over and over again um, It's it's not really what the What the point is, which should be fresh air and proper social distancing, uh, you know early on earlier on doctor
0: i got I want to interrupt because I, I think this kind of plays in what you 're saying uh early on, Sweden was disparaged for their light touch, allowing people to go out, go to restaurants uh go to do business, things like that, and then choose for yourself based upon how you feel about your family's susceptibility uh, to coronavirus and COVID and perhaps, uh, you know, be- it becoming even more dangerous. Now, uh, we're seeing that, uh, that Sweden's policies have led to a, a lower death rate than the United States. It kind of plays into what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah Sweden's a good example, uh, but, you know, the data is now pouring in. You know, we, we were bamboozled a bit by these RCTs, the randomized control trial stuff, being the gold standard. But the data is now pouring in um, uh, worldwide um, that Sweden did the right thing. There's some something called the HCQ trial. So you can go to hcqtrial.com. HCQ is the real acronym for hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the HCQ trial... There were uh, 1.8 billion, that's almost 2 billion people uh, who were uh, treated with a very low dose of hydroxychloroquine against a control group of 0. 0.6 billion, in other words, 600 million people. So about a third of the trial was the control group and the, and the treatment group was, was 2 billion. Your chances of dying from COVID went up 6 if you were in the controlled group and not taking this very inexpensive, readily available medication called hydroxychloroquine. Now, you can say that's not a randomized controlled t- trial, but the numbers are so overwhelming that uh, you know, in, in the words of Dr. Uh, uh, Tom Frieden, uh, who was the head of the uh, CDC for a number of years in his New England Journal of Medicine, article of evidence for health decision-making beyond the randomized control trial. The truth is that amount of information is irrefutable. You cannot argue with those kind of numbers.
0: Well, I appreciate having you on. It's Dr. Chris Cassells. And uh, we, like I said, we cover all all angles and all different opinions on all this because it matters and affects your life in so many meaningful ways. We'll get this on the podcast page as well. Uh, Chris, thanks for being on. I always appreciate your time. Any last word? Uh, no, Rick, I think you're
1: doing a terrific job with this. And as usual, uh, by, uh, by the email you sent me, you are spot on, buddy.